0: I'm Debbie Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today we're going to talk about BLM, Black Lives Matter, and the death of Jake Gardner, Antifa and BLM, Are We Allowed to Fight Back?, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Justice for Women. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Addis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Probably thought I was going to start the First Five today, the show today, talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I actually have so much to say about that instance about her passing and her place in American history. I'm putting that off until a little bit later. I want to tell you in this first five today a story about a man, an American citizen named Jake Gardner, a man who served in the military who happened to support President Trump. He lived in Omaha, Nebraska, and he owned a bar. As the Black Lives Matter violence and Antifa violence continued to escalate around this country, there was an incident in front of his bar in Omaha, and it involved Protesters, Black Lives Matter, and Antifa protesters uh, engaging in violence, smashing windows. It was one of the, you know, not a protest in any meaningful way, uh, the way it's supposed to be, protests in America under the First Amendment, but just mob violence ongoing. This man who owned the bar, Jake Gardner, his dad, so this man was, I think he was in his 30s or so. His dad was standing outside uh, as, these, as his mob was roving through these property destroyers, arsonists, mobsters, uh, going through the neighborhood. And the dad was trying to say, get out of here, get away from this bar, basically trying to protect his son's property. Some of the protesters uh, pushed him around a little bit, pushed the, the dad, who's obviously more senior than the adult son, who's in his 30s, pushing him around. The son came out, who was a, uh, again, Jake Gardner, who was a military veteran. He had a gun, and he said, basically, get lost. Stop. Who pushed my dad? Get out of here. Tries to push them away. And as the, the scene becomes more violent, he fired two shots in the air, not to hit anybody, just warning shots, get away. And in response to that one of the Black Lives Matter protesters leaped on Jake Gardner and had him, was on the ground on his back and was beating him. And Jake Gardner managed to get a hold of the gun, his own gun, and used that gun and shot and killed the person who was beating him. That incident largely captured on camera, largely captured on camera. And so the district attorney uh, in Omaha looked into the case and just said, you know, it was self-defense. This guy's being beaten by uh, one of these uh, mobsters. I, I don't. I want to stop calling the people protesters. They're mobsters. They're, they're criminals. They are, they are they're engaging in violent attacks on innocent Americans and on property. So anyway, this guy ends up shooting the person who was beating him, very similar to the Trayvon Martin case. And the prosecutor looked into it and concluded that self-defense it was obviously a killing in self-defense wasn't going to bring charges however because of the relentlessness of the black lives matter a radical left in this country and pressure on the prosecutor he said okay well i looked into it. here's what i think but you know i'll agree the case can be reviewed by an independent prosecutor if somebody else look into it and so and the independent prosecutor happened to be black and so he looks into the same case same set of facts and concludes that charges should be brought against Jake Gardner, that he should be charged with, um, it was assault, and a series of uh, serious felony charges against this bar owner in Omaha. Well, between the time the incident happened, which was the end of May, and uh, just this past weekend, he, Jake Gardner, because of threats and violence and fear for his own safety, left Omaha, went up to the Northeast, I think it was either Oregon or Washington State, basically trying to stay away, basically just not wanting to be around where he's afraid of violence and people coming after him. So he gets away, goes up to the Northeast to get away from this incident and all of the uh, mobster violence ongoing and criticism of him. And then this new uh, investigator, new prosecutor looks into the case, takes it to a grand jury, gets an indictment. So he had agreed to come back to Omaha and face charges for this incident. Instead, what he chose to do, Jake Gardner took his own life this past weekend. It appears actually no, no other, it wasn't foul play, just took his own life. And I want to tell that story in today's first five to plant the seed for something I want you to consider as we're moving forward, not just today, but in this whole fall election cycle. We are watching, for example, in Portland, we're now over 100 days straight Of violent mob rule in that city. Over 100 days straight, we're looking at destruction of property, burning a flag. Not just, we're not talking about, you know, a rowdy but lawful protests. You can have a protest in a park or some other place where you get permission to have a protest, and you can have a protest for a long time. You can camp out for the summer and have protests, or for the winter. You can have long protests that are loud. You can be loud and chanting and and issuing demands. These all fall under the protection of the First Amendment, what we're talking about. In this country, Portland being a prime example, but other cities also, is way beyond what the First Amendment protects. We're talking about property destruction. We're talking about murder in the case of numerous police officers and civilians who've lost their lives at the hands of Black Lives Matter and Antifa. And we're talking again about two organizations that are both backed by very radical anti-American Marxist ideas. Antifa and Black Lives Matter are not peaceful, pro-America. We, just, we, we love America. We want to stand with the goodness of America. We just want to make some policy changes. These are people fundamentally opposed to the very idea of freedom in America, fundamentally opposed to the very structure, the construct of America. These groups have been engaged in violent protests, murders, property destruction, breaking windows on businesses, stealing property, burning cars, And this is not because of the horrific incident involving George Floyd in Minneapolis. This is not what this is about. This is long gone out of their memory. It was never really the reason they got started. They got started because there has been a Marxist element in this country waiting for the proper time to leap forward and come to the surface and say, now's our time. We're going to push for a Marxist overthrow of this country. That is what is happening. So back to our friend Jake Gardner in Omaha. I don't know him. I don't know if whether he could have done something less than fire his gun at the person who was beating him. I don't know that. And and maybe the evidence will uncover that he had some slightly less violent or less lethal way to defend himself. But I do know that this cannot be the kind of standard, the kind of violence we have in our country that we've come to tolerate. And, Treat as a norm. Oh, sure, you know, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, they come into cities. The entire downtown of cities is destroyed. The entire, you know, neighborhoods, businesses that people work their whole lives to develop, homes destroyed. And, and mostly in these Democrat run cities, the police stand by. They just stand on the edge. I'm not saying the police don't want to get involved. I'm saying the Democrat leaders of those cities and states will not allow the police to maintain order. So Jake Gardner, in the midst of a protest in Omaha, a violent, riotist mob attacking his bar, his street, his city, defended himself and would have been facing criminal charges for doing that. And just ask yourself, if you're Jake Gardner's family, where is your justice? Where where were the police who should have never allowed such an incredible, violent mob to continue acting that way, to continue attacking property? The way those incidents are supposed to be resolved is because store owners, business owners, homeowners call the police. They say, hey, we have a bunch of thugs outside our business or inside our business, and they're destroying it. And the police show up. But what is it we're supposed to do when the police don't come? And in many cities, when the police won't come. That's gonna be the topic of our next conversation. I'll close out the first five by saying this. There is more than I can possibly articulate in every show from now until election day, more at stake in this election than most people understand. Because what happened, this whole uh, erasure of common concepts of justice, common understanding of the role of police, common understanding about civil law civil society common understanding about what we allow mobsters protesters violent criminals to do in our cities all of that is on the table because the left is okay with what's happening they have they have either become as enraged as these protesters and actually thinking that america deserves this onslaught this this horrific attack that is that is occurring in our cities around this country. They either think it's okay or they're afraid to speak up and say, hey, we, we got to stop this. We really can't let you know Marxists and Black Lives Matter and the radical left in this country destroy civil society. They can't say it because they need their votes. So I'll close out again the first five by saying in this, we're going to talk about this. How far? How far? What is it that peaceful, law-abiding, America can do to stand up against the onslaught of what we're watching happen in our cities. Because the answer given by the conservative, pro-America, pro-patriot, pro-preservation of America's goodness side, the answer they offer is very different from the answers offered by the American left, which are pretty much going to say, you're going to shut up and take it. At the end of the day, you're going to let the protesters have whatever they want. That is your answer from the American left give in to everything they demand, whatever it is they want, and that's how we'll get to peace. America, and for the same reason we don't negotiate with terrorists in, in interactions around the world, we need to stop thinking that there's any basis to negotiate with Black Lives Matter, Antifa, or any other violent anti-American fascist Marxist organization. We don't, we do not negotiate with them, we crush them. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. I mentioned start of the show, I want to talk about uh, how, uh, how far are we allowed to fight back or are we even allowed to fight back? I just want to tell you some of the few ways that some people are engaging in fighting back, some of the ideas we have and how we're fighting back against what we're watching in America's cities. Let me start with Portland. Uh, Portland, uh, which has been the scene of the worst violence, and, um, and Antifa and Black Lives Matter on the streets destroying property, uh, burning buildings, trying to trap police officers and other people inside uh, official government buildings. This has been going on in Portland for over 100 days. Over the weekend in Portland, there was an ongoing massive violent mob engaging in violence against the city. And in Portland, what those Antifa rioters did that time, they they were going down a city street, smashing door windows smashing car windows. They actually forced a truck driver to stop, make him. They demanded that he give the Black Lives Matter you know, power salute and do that and yell Black Lives Matter. And he did it. And they still broke all the windows in his truck. They continue going down the street in Portland, smashing windows of businesses, stealing things. I mean, just, just at one point I want to make about this in the segment is, are we allowed to fight back? But even before how we fight back, just stop and think our whole sense of justice, our whole sense of law and order, our whole sense of living in civil society has been dumbed down since May of this year. Dumbed down week after week. We read stories about violence, stories about property destruction, and the expectation we have as American citizens changes. We say, well, you know, we really can't do anything about it because they're really mad about something, or we don't dare do anything because, you know, there might, be, there might be something worse if we stand up for ourselves. And after all, this is Black Lives Matter or Antifa, and everyone knows they're lawless uh, criminals, lawless thugs, and everyone's afraid to stand up to them. And the mayors in these cities won't do anything about it, the governors will barely do anything. We're watching our cities crumble, and but I want to hit that one point first to make very clear. We cannot agree that this is the new America. This is the new norm. The new norm in America is not going to be that every time Antifa, Black Lives Matter, any radical group, or any other group, if, if this were conduct engaged in by white supremacists, by uh, whoever other group, whatever group it is, we all have to been the same page. We have law and order. For the same reason, we wouldn't let white supremacists or any other crazy group engage in this conduct. We do not allow Black Lives Matter or Antifa to do this, but they do. So in Portland over the weekend, this mob ended up Crashed, breaking the windows and storming in inside both the Chipotle, the restaurant Chipotle, um, and a Starbucks. Inside the Starbucks, they were breaking things, stealing things, taking whatever they wanted and, and went out. And so they did this in Portland, and this was a lot of this was recorded uh, by this one particular really, really um, uh, aggressive um, guy who's been reporting out there for a long time, um, Andy Ngo. I think it's just Andy No, but he, he's, he's taking pictures, videos. They actually, these mobsters, these criminals in Portland this time, they happened upon a a flag, one of the flags we have for Blue Lives Matter. It's an American flag with a blue stripe in it to show you're standing up for police. And they burned it in the street. And this was recorded. You can go watch if you really want to on Twitter. On the street, chanting, Blue Lives Splatter. That's advocating for blood and violence against police. So they engage in all this conduct. Police, no arrests, no arrests. These people tearing down a a city street or several blocks of a a street in America, breaking windows, stealing, robbing, declaring they have taken over Starbucks, um, held a street dance in front of the central precinct to point out, because there are no cops, no police doing anything. No police doing anything. And the statement put out by the police there was no violence for the crowd, therefore, no force or munitions were used. I guess since the crowd wasn't killing people, it was okay with the police. End up saying no arrests were made, but the vandalism is under investigation. They have destroyed property, destroyed people's businesses, no arrests. Hey, you know, we're looking into the, violent, into the, into the uh, vandalism. Who knows? You know, maybe we'll arrest somebody for breaking a window. We have so dumbed down our country. That we're not even allowed. My question for this segment, how are we allowed to fight back? Are we? The police can't even fight back. The police are not fighting back. They're just letting it all happen. Letting it all happen as though this is the norm. This is what we put up with in this country. So we have the president fortunately deciding. In fact, he put out the president Trump asked the Department of Justice to identify cities in America that are failing to protect their citizens. You know, people, if you had predicted this a year ago in this country, that you would have the president having to ask the DOJ to look into which city governments, which state governments, We're not even protecting their own citizens. You think that's loony? That's not going to happen. We have been so dumbed down in our expectations of normal law and order, normal life, that the president actually had to ask the DOJ, you know, well, where is it? Where, where can we officially say that we don't have any protection being given to the citizens? Because you have the the Democrat mayors in, in city councils and Democrat leaders around this country letting this reign of terror continue. So the DOJ did a little study, looked into it, and identified three cities. Not surprisingly, New York City, Portland, and Seattle. All three identified simply cannot have their, it cannot, are not, I don't know if they can't enforce law and order, but they won't. And Attorney General Barr had a great quote, when state and local leaders impede their own law enforcement officers and agencies from doing their jobs, it endangers innocent citizens who deserve to be protected, including those who are trying to peaceably assemble and protest. You might actually have peaceable protesters, even those who want to protest in favor of Black Lives Matter and about the George Floyd incident. But they can't do it either. They're they're also threatened. They are also in danger by this mob. And by the way, I'm going to tell you back to Portland for a second. I want to tell you um, there was a tweet out by their impossibly useless mayor, Ted Wheeler, had a tweet out where he was bragging, saying, "Hey, you know, it was really good. Uh, We didn't have to. To uh, the police did not have to use tear gas." He he says in a tweet, "I'm so happy to announce that the police." followed my order and did not use tear gas to settle down these mobs. He's bragging that the police followed his order not to break up these mobs, not to use tear gas. So back to the Department of Justice. Trump asked him to look into this. Department says, okay, we've investigated. Here's what we have. Attorney General Barr is pointing out, um, you know, you really have to be, um, you have to, as a country, to be a country, you have to protect your citizens. We cannot allow federal tax dollars to be wasted when the safety of the citizenry hangs in the balance. It is my hope that the cities identified by the Department of Justice today will reverse course and become serious. And actually, here is, here is Mayor Ted Wheeler's. I'm confirming today that Portland police abided by my order, banning the use of tear gas for crowd control during a protest. He calls it a protest. It's not a protest, Mayor Wheeler, when they are breaking windows. It's criminal. Arrest them. They are destroying property. You don't have to wait till they kill someone. Arrest them for the little things. They stop doing them. So anyway, uh, we, uh, you know, this Portland mayor has repeatedly called uh, for, for the violence to end. But his chicken hearted response when the violence came near his house was to say, "Okay, let me move to a different house. He actually moved. He decided that rather than say, you know what, we're going to have these this mob in front of businesses and homes, including his own. And we're going to call out the police and we're going to, we're going to you know, push them away. We're going to tell them you can't be here and arrest them if it takes arresting a thousand people. Just do it. It is the only answer. And he won't do it. His answer, chicken hearted, was to move away. Okay, I'm, let me get out of their way. They really want to destroy my house. Let them go ahead. People, we have so dumbed down the normal expectations of civilized society. We cannot figure out whether in Portland the mayor ought to have all these people arrested and sit them in jail for a while. Get rid of these policies that let the the district attorney or the or the courts listen to have someone come in, plead not guilty. You know, wasn't it? They didn't kill anybody, so no bail for you. Bail is racist. You go get out of here. No bail for you. And it goes on and on. I'm telling you, people. America's watching what's happening in these cities, and this, all this is is helping Trump's reelection. But I wanna hear one more point about how we can respond as a people, um, and I actually found this very entertaining. I have a, um, a good friend, who is a a PhD economist and a great writer. He writes really profound, substantive things about the beauty of freedom and capitalism and, and, and about socialism being so disastrous and how socialism has caused more misery in human history. He's just a brilliant writer. He happened to send me something I wanted to share with you. And this is actually something I had not heard about this at the time, but the Israeli Defense Forces developed something they are calling a stink bomb. Stink bomb. The Israeli Defense Forces have developed this thing that is uh, extremely odiferous. It smells like a combination of sewage, skunk, and uh, decaying bodies. It smells horrible. It's a horrible smell, and the Israeli Defense Forces have used it when the Palestinians are engaged in violent violent mob violence. They have used it, and they just shoot it out of a cannon. It's not like the, the rubber bullet someone might say hurt them, it's not, it's not like the other uh, things where someone might say, oh my you know, rubber bullet, I, I got hurt. This is just, it just smells horrible. And the additional thing is, it, it sends them running because it's so horrible, but it sticks to their skin, they smell bad for a long time, it can make people feel nauseous and perhaps end up, um, you know, um, vomiting because it's so horrible smelling but otherwise it doesn't hurt them it is a and it goes away eventually it is a great idea and it turned out in this article that my friend sent me that there actually has been a sale by the Israeli defense forces of this stink bomb to some police departments in america and if you can't defund because of course the left is complaining you can't defund portland seattle and new york just because they don't protect their citizens you can't defund them you can't send federal troops in you can't you can't arrest these people basically the democrats are saying there's nothing you can do to them you just have to let them do this and no consequence at all i'm in favor of the stink bomb I, i vote for one here do something effective and and something that will have a lasting impact and will cause them to recognize that this is not going to be put up with uh, this america is not not going to continue to put up with this i'm going to close out this segment by asking matt the wonderful to play a clip so katie hopkins uh is in her tour of america i've mentioned that to you uh, over the last several she's been here i think a week and a half she's doing a tour of america all around the country she managed to get to the site in Minneapolis where George Floyd died, and it's interesting because the city has blocked off the whole area. It's, it's like a, it's like you know a, a ghost town. Nobody's there, but she managed to get in. She did. I couldn't grab the whole clip, but I got a portion of it from Matthew Wonderful to play for Katie's observations about what's going on in the area in Minneapolis where George Floyd died. So I'm here at the George Floyd <laughs> memorial, the site of. Uh, where George Floyd died, and um, behind me is the cut food stores where everything happened, and these streets are now all blocked off. One of the things that really strikes you when you're here is that the demands aren't clear. In fact, I'd say this and I'd level it to every single protester, Black Lives Matter protesters, to every football star taking a knee or raising a fist. i'd say to you all with all your street blockades and your flowers and your barriers and your slogans and your graffiti and your burnt out stores and your nonsense i guess she well she said to them i'm sorry i obviously sent mad the wrong cut up she said you know you've got to say what you what you want you i mean what is it you're demanding you're destroying everything what is it you want? I'm sorry, I guess I didn't send Matt the second clip, but it was, it was interesting to see that area in Minneapolis. It's just, uh, you know, the whole city looks like a war zone. As I mentioned to you many times, I have many relatives in Minnesota. I periodically hear from them. Um, and, you know, it, it's I mean, no one would go downtown ever I think about downtown Minneapolis. Uh, as I mentioned, if you listen to the show all the time, you know my dad grew up in Minnetonka. And growing up, we used to go out to Minneapolis, Minnesota every summer. My mom and dad and the three kids, we just, that was our summer vacation. We went to Minnesota, visited cousins. And Iowa, you know, the whole area. And that was one of the special treats my grandmother, my father's mother used to take, um, the girls my mother my sister and myself out to lunch at Dayton's department store we got we brought one nice outfit in summer vacation and she took us out to lunch at Dayton's department store. We had a lovely, you know, time out in, in a lovely little, it was, it was a nice, you know, kind of upscale little restaurant they had in Dayton's department store. I remember downtown Minneapolis. I think it was the coolest thing. And that whole, I mean, the entire area of downtown Minneapolis is a mess. It looks like a war zone. And the people are flooding and fleeing to the suburbs. And it's just a horrible, horrible commentary on, one political party in this country that simply cannot stand up and say, we're not going to run our country this way, we're not going to have a country that everyone who's law-abiding is afraid to go out at night, everyone law-abiding, afraid to live in the big cities, there needs to, be. I think there will be a massive rebuke of the Democrat Party in the fall election cycle, a massive rebuke, because all of this is something, at the very least, they are tolerating. At the And, and more, more importantly than that, The radical left leaders of America today, the Marxist, socialist, communists the whole radical left cabal that used to be seen as an extreme extremist leftist kind of out there. They run the Democrat Party. They control the Democrat Party. They are the Democrat Party, and they cannot say anything about this property destruction because it's being done by people whose votes they need. I want, to, I, want to, I want to turn out Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which is obviously the biggest news of the weekend. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. She had served on the Supreme Court for a long, long time. But I want to hit an angle on Ruth Bader Ginsburg that on this show that really ties in with one of the main themes I try to talk about in the show all the time. Every American has the duty in every generation, if you understand The unique greatness of america if you understand the importance of the founding ideas of america every american has a duty in their generation and we in our generation to preserve and protect the idea of america and that includes the structure of our court systems and i want to talk about all of the arguments being made at this moment since Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed on, so now we only have eight justices on the Supreme Court, we have an election coming up November 3rd, and here we are, you know, toward, little past between the middle and the end of September, and you're hearing voices on the left saying that President Trump, that it would be absolutely outrageous if he were to nominate someone, and voices on the right, including President Trump, saying, of course I'm going to nominate someone and try to get him through the Senate, confirmed before the November election. I'm going, to start, I'm going to make like four points, and they all these are things I hope you'll take with you and be able to pass along to people who say that there's something wrong with the idea that President Trump would nominate someone or that he would nominate uh, a conservative. To start with, the Constitution, all of its brilliance says the way you get justices on the Supreme Court is the president must nominate. No one else has that power. The president must nominate, and the Senate has a right to advice and consent. The Senate can say yes or no to whoever is nominated. And the Senate can decide to hold a hearing or not hold a hearing. This is the power of the majority. And the structure set up by the Constitution really perpetuates, it enables the government of we the people. Because we the people choose a president through elections, and we the people choose who has the majority in the Senate. And at this time, the Republicans have the White House with President Trump, and the Republicans have a bare, thin majority in the Senate. The system was set up to permit, to function under its rules. There's nothing unfair about both about everyone involved in the process following the constitution's rules there's nothing unfair nothing unjust nothing irrational in fact it's the only way to have a fair system is to follow the constitution otherwise you just have political parties making demands and saying we don't care what the constitution says you know you can't make a nomination or you can't hold a vote the constitution protects Everyone in exactly the same way. It is, it is the epitome of equal rule under law, of, of, of you know, one law for everyone, it's the epitome of that. If all of the dynamics were the same and the Democrats have the White House and the Democrats have the Senate, they'd be clamoring to get the next justice in to replace whoever just passed on because they wanna make sure that they can do what they've been elected to do as soon as they can. But you're hearing arguments saying that somehow unjust that President Trump is considering nominating someone uh, because the election is so close, um, and and people, that is absurd and idiotic. The system calls for the process I just told you, and there's no limitation on the timing of that process. So I want to show you some quotes, but just a little bit of a open your eyes about how there's so much noise coming out of the left so much noise coming out of the left, trying to act indignant and outraged. We're going to sh- I'll tell you more in a moment, what some of the leftists have been saying. But so much noise about the idea that it would be outrageous if President Trump nominates someone. So I have some. This is our happy little quick uh, who said this thing. And Matt, the one of us, is going to put it up right now. Okay. So special Q&A, who said this? In response to the question whether the Senate should hold a confirmation hearing for a newly nominated Supreme Court justice in a presidential election year, Who said that's their job? There's nothing in the Constitution that says the president stops being president in his last year. And the answer is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. July 2016, when Obama wanted to get a vote on Merrick Garland. But Obama held, the the Democrats held the White House, but the Republicans held the Senate. And the Republicans said we're not holding a hearing because we don't have to. Because they have that power under the Constitution. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself said nothing in the constitution says president stops being president when democrats won the gop control senate to vote on president obama's scotus nominee merrick garland ginsburg was all for it next question who said this this is about whether it matters that the supreme court enters the post-election season without a full bench eight is not a good number for a collegial body that somehow disagrees what do we do what we do is automatically affirm the decision of the court below the point of this is if you have only eight justices, you have four to four, a liberal conservative, you know, you can't really get decisions because all you're going to have the split like that. No opinions written, no reasons are given, and the affirmance has no presidential value. It's just as though we denied review. So it's a huge lament on behalf of the idea that you can't go forward without a full bench. And who said that? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. During an event at the Smithsonian Museum of American History, again in 2016, a few months later, next po- next quick quote, who said, I think we hope there will be nine justices on the Supreme Court as quickly as possible. And that answer was Sonia Sotomayor, another Supreme Court Democrat nominated Supreme Court justice, basically saying the same thing. You need to have a full Supreme Court as soon as possible. And the other reason, my very fine friends, we have to have... We should all want to have a full Supreme Court is because once the fall elections happen, do not think we're going to have a clear answer. I I tell you, if we have honest elections, I feel sure President Trump will win, probably in a landslide. But we're going to have battles over mail-in ballots. We're going to have battles over all sorts of legal issues. You're going to have the left clamoring, if President Trump wins, clamoring to somehow call him invalid. And you can't move forward if you don't have a full complement on the Supreme Court capable of issuing a 5-4 ruling. So it is garbage for the left to claim that there's something wrong with the idea of President Trump nominating someone right now. Even Ruth Bader Ginsburg said so. But the other point I want to make, the big point I want to make about uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is this. You will hear leftist organizations and and alleged women's groups claiming that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a trailblazer. She's practically a saint. She's an icon. She is someone to be revered. We're going to have to watch weeks and weeks of uh, left-wing television telling us all the great specials on Ruth Bader Ginsburg and who can possibly be more flowery and over the top in praising her. And I want to make a couple points about her. She was smart, and she had integrity meaning she knew what she believed in she was a radical leftist and she was genuine she pursued what she believed in she was a radical leftist And she was apparently a nice enough person to become close friends with Justice Antonin Scalia, which is another great tribute to her and to him. They could put aside ideological differences. They even went on vacation together with their respective spouses. The four of them went on vacations together. So yeah, they were friends. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg did not stand up for women. Do not let anyone tell you that Ruth Bader Ginsburg fought for women. Ruth Bader Ginsburg fought for radical leftism, and it's okay to say that. She's allowed to. She's allowed to have any radical views that she wants. But women in America do not have to succumb to the idiocy of the left saying, well, we all must honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She stood for women. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. She stood for radical leftism, and she happened to be a woman. There are men as radical leftists as she is. And those people are also standing up for leftism, not women. But I want to tell you some things I learned about her, about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, and, on her passing. I mean, I do. I, I will tell you, I understand she's going to lie in state at the Capitol or at the Supreme Court for, um, I think, Wednesday and Thursday or something. You know, They're going to properly honor her. She, she uh, you know, served on the court and she did what she was called to do. But I want to tell you a few things you may not know about her. One huge one was, when I say she's a radical leftist, I am not exaggerating. She may have been diminutive, she's very tiny, and people thought she was kind of humorous, and she's a very popular speaker at left-wing events. She was a radical leftist. Let me just tell you a few things about her. She wrote a book, she co-wrote a book uh, with a woman named Brenda Fagan Fastow. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg co-wrote a book in 1977 called Sex Bias in the U.S. Code. It was basically a feminist, a radical feminist review of the entire system of federal laws, reviewing the federal code to uh, assess whether or not these the federal laws had sexism in them. This is the age of radical feminism, challenging sexism, and at they, what they claim was sexism. So she wrote this book, and it was, you know she had written it long before she was nominated and accepted. She was nominated, I think, like ninety-three uh, to the Supreme Court. So she wrote this book in nineteen ninety-seven. Let me tell you a couple of things that she said. This is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her writing, her book. Number one, the overarching claim coming out of the book was that um, there were there were at least at least eight hundred federal laws that discriminated on the based on sex. Let me tell you that some of them what what were, were. She said women should be drafted just like men are drafted. So if the draft for women, draft for men. One idea underlying this is, if you're really a radical feminist, you try to claim there's absolutely no difference between men and women. I mean, you can't acknowledge any difference. You can't acknowledge any difference, such as you know, uh, average uh, strength, av- average ability to uh, athletically to run, to lift, to be strong. To you can't acknowledge that that differences which clearly exist here in the world of reality. You can't acknowledge those. So she's complaining that the draft should draft women as it, as it drafts men, and she went on to say that affirmative action affirmative action should be used applied for women in the armed services that we had to start and she also said women had to be assigned to military combat duty so she wants women as well as men in the military which you know i actually say as a little aside israel has a a program where everybody goes men and women everybody must serve when you get i think you're age 19 or something you have to go serve in the armed services they don't pretend that women are men They assess individuals, and the time period is shorter for women. I'm not against women in the military. I have some friends who love, women friends who love serving in the military. I think it's great. Ruth Bader Ginsburg could not deal with the reality that men and women are different. So she said we have to have affirmative action in the military till we get men and women, the same numbers, into these positions, battle positions, other positions involving uh, what is needed for men to uh, for strength to, in order to defend our country. She went on to say, she also said the age of consent, this is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, age of consent for sexual acts must be lowered to 12 years old. She's offended by the idea. There was a phrase in many laws that said, essentially, carnal knowledge of any female, not your wife, who hasn't attained the age of 16 years. She was offended, and again, laws like that, to protect women, because as we all know, most men are stronger than most women. Most women, women far more than men, are going to be the victims of sexual assault women more than men far more likely to be victims of rape and and any other uh, sexual violence because it's It just ties with the laws of nature, with the reality of life. And so laws over the years had talked about it was illegal for it made a crime for men to have carnal knowledge with a woman uh, who was under 16, unless it was her wife. And she found that sexist and offensive instead of saying, hey, this is great. We're protecting women from violent men. Couldn't get there. Um, She also said prostitution should be legalized. Prostitution should be legalized. She says not even sufficient to change the law, you know, prostitution laws obviously were written mainly for women who were the uh, selling the services. Uh, and so when it re- the laws referred to women engaged in prostitution. It wasn't enough to her to say, well, let's have men and women, you know, both po- be possibly prosecuted for uh, prostitution not enough. She wanted all the prostitution laws gone. In fact, she talked about there's a growing national movement recommending unqualified decriminalization of prostitution, a sound policy based on equal rights and individual privacy principles. So, okay, a huge one um, she wanted changed because she found it offensive to women was called the MAN Act, M-A-N-N, not referring to a man versus woman, but a person's name, capital M, MAN. This is the law that prohibits the transportation of women and girls for prostitution, debauchery, or other immoral purposes. She's offended that there's a federal law, obviously, because you sometimes have, you talk about today, our knowledge of sex trafficking. You have young girls, very young girls, and teenage girls trafficked, moved across state lines, to provide, often against their will, to provide sexual services. This law is designed to make it the crime. One of the crimes are being committed by the handlers, by the uh, creepy people who do this to women, was a law that said, yeah, you can get prosecuted for transporting females, across, women or girls, for prostitution, debauchery, or other immoral purposes. That had to go. Not okay with her because, you know, you're treating women like they're victims. Well, obviously they were victims, you know. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, asked why we have the laws. She also said we had to end in prisons and reformatories. We must end sex segregation. So she wants sex-integrated prisons and reformatories. So men and women in together, Who, what could go wrong there? Just try to think of what could go wrong. I can't imagine what. I mean, I could read you the rest of this show the level of idiocy in her thinking. I understand she was a brilliant woman. She was very smart. She did really well in school. She was a radical leftist with radical feminist ideas, and she sat in the Supreme Court for a long time and issued decisions based on those views. She didn't stand up for women. She stood for radical leftism. And it's okay that she did. It's You can be a radical leftist in this country, but women trying to tell other women in this country that we have to stand and salute and canonize Ruth Bader Ginsburg because she stood for women. No, she didn't. She stood for radical leftism. She was an accomplished woman. She's intelligent, an accomplished uh, judge, obviously, serving the Supreme Court. She was a radical leftist. And the idea that we're going to have to argue about whether or not this is her seat Another argument the left is using, that this is her seat, to honor her, we must replace that seat with someone who shares her values. No, no. Back to the Constitution. The Supreme Court openings get filled. They get filled by the process the Constitution set up. And for those of you saying, but what about 2016? What about when Antonin Scalia passed away and President Obama wanted to nominate Merrick Garland? Democrats have the White House, President Obama makes a nomination, Republicans hold the majority in the Senate, and they decline to hold a hearing. This, my friends, is called following the Constitution. There is no obligation for the Senate to hold a hearing. They just simply decided they weren't going to do it. They were not going to replace the brilliance uh, and the conservatism and the constitutional integrity of the term served by Antonin Scalia by anyone who's going to be nominated by President Obama. This is the way the system worked. It worked exactly as it should have. The people We, the people, gave the Republican the majority in the Senate in 2016, which is why they were able to say, not going to give President um, Obama this. Uh, This nominee not going to give him a hearing because obviously everyone knows whoever sits in that seat in the Supreme Court, you know, you end up many of them for decades long. It's a very long term position. We've discussed other times ideas people have about shortening it, but that's how it is right now. You are seated for life as you are in any federal district federal bench seat. And so this is a huge decision, and I'm very, very grateful to hear that Mitch McConnell has said, you know, we're going to try to have a hearing. A couple of points in wrapping up today's show on this topic. Um, one is that the left is, of course, galvanized or out of their minds with the idea that they're going to somehow stop this uh, this nomination from going forward, that they're not going, they're going to do every trick in the book to stop the nomination from going forward. And so you had AOC, uh, and by the way, AOC, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Schumer doing a press conference on this momentous topic. And they're wearing masks and talking into the microphone through a mask. I mean, just so pathetic looking, but back to this point, AOC and Schumer are saying they are going to, and Schumer urged unprecedented action over the Supreme Court. AOC is talking about using every tool at our disposal. Nadler, Gerald Nadler, also a member of the U.S. House, Democrat radical nut, uh, talked about uh, if this happens, then the Senate should move. If this happens, if if, uh, Trump nominates and the, the Senate holds a hearing, confirms we have somebody up there, that if Biden wins, that Biden ought to first move right away, the Democrats should move to pack the court. There's also Nancy Pelosi floating ideas saying, you know, maybe we're just gonna have to find another ground for impeachment. I mean, they're actually talking about trying to stop him in every way they can. So please listen to my final point on this topic. The reason the left is out of their minds about this is because President Trump is going to nominate someone who will actually follow the Constitution. This is all the left is upset about. It's not about, you know, you could pick a thousand issues, including abortion, but even the abortion issue, which drives so much of radical leftism, is a question about, do we have a Supreme Court that follows the Constitution, or do we have a court that essentially legislates, that makes things up, that does not feel constrained by any sense of the limitations uh, that are constitutionally placed on the judiciary. It's really about as simple as that. The Democrats are out of their minds because the Supreme Court may end up with a majority who actually follow the Constitution. They can't stand that they've gotten the left in this country has gotten had made major headway on major left wing policies by getting decisions out of the Supreme Court that have no basis in the Constitution, no basis in law, they have a basis in the decisions the left wanted, the policies they wanted and finding judges to sit on courts who will who will escape from, ignore the concept of constitutional originalism or textualism and go down the path of, I don't know, uh, you know, Ruth, what do you think this should be? Well, I don't know, John, I'm thinking about this. The Supreme Court has really fallen off in many ways and in decisions they've have that have gone with the majority of the leftists on the court, They're not decisions based on actual interpretation of the Constitution. They're decisions made by leftist activism by those judges. And this is a chance President Trump has to put in place a potentially stronger majority on the Supreme Court. We'll leave Justice John Roberts out of this at this time because he's, who even knows what he's going to do, but I want to close out by saying this is a massive consequence to America. Do not, my very fine friends, my women friends who listen to this show, do not get duped into thinking we have to honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg's alleged last words saying, well, she said, you know, if my last dying wish is I really hope President Trump uh, doesn't appoint someone until after the new, after the elections. It doesn't matter what she thought. It wasn't her seat. It doesn't matter what she thought. Who even knows if she said it? Even if she did, it doesn't matter. She doesn't decide who is the next person to hold the seat. The constitutional process does. And back to 2016, the leftists, as you saw from Ruth Bader Ginsburg a moment ago, her statement, she's all about, yeah, 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 of course, the Senate should move with with immediate haste. Let's go, chop, chop, hold a hearing. Because she hoped that they could get the Democrat nominee through the Republican Majority Senate, and they weren't going to do it. The process worked then, the process is working now. The Constitution's process is our only safeguard against the tyranny, and it's amazing to think about what the left is wanting more than anything else is more and more justices on the Supreme Court who will simply ignore the constitutional limitations on the role of the judiciary and will be the activist kind of judges who push leftist policies, When you hear President Trump talking about nominating someone of a conservative uh, background, conservative thinking, he's talking about someone who will stand up for the Constitution, which, my very fine friends, is the only way we keep the structure and stability of this country, is holding on to the way the Constitution works and was meant to work. I could talk more about this. Probably we'll talk more about this and we move forward. But I want to turn now and tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started today's show. We were talking about uh, Black Lives Matter and the death of Jake Gardner. Um, you know, I will tell you it's a sad story. Omaha, bar owner—excuse me, Omaha bar owner Jake Gardner, former Marine, oh, big Trump supporter—should have mentioned that. Um, defends his bar on May 30th after Black Lives Matter rioters break windows and shove his father, surrounded by rioters, jumped by one, fires warning shots, then he shoots a rioter who dies. Most of this is captured on video from surveillance cameras. Undisputed. Omaha DA finds self-defense. Obviously, no charges. BLM mob demands outside review. DA caves. A black prosecutor indicts. Arrest warrants issued. Gardner to be charged with some form of homicide. Gardner sets up, oh yeah, I didn't even tell you this. Gardner sets up a GoFundMe, which everyone you is supposed to kind of have access to. They're available for legal expenses, but taken down. The GoFundMe account for Gardner was taken down by the GoFundMe people. Gardner commits suicide this past weekend. Americans know this is not a justice system and it cannot continue. On Antifa and Black Lives Matter are we allowed to fight back why it matters? Mainstream media, academia, entertainment industry, and professional sports have combined to create an illusion that Antifa, Black Lives Matter are righteous movements beyond criticism or questioning. Portland's into 100 days in a row of rioting and breaking windows. No arrests. Vandalism under investigation, don't you know? Mayor prohibits use of tear gas to disperse crowds and brags about it. The danger to American society from indulging anarchy and lies must be diffused. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, a radical left Marxist overthrow America movements. They're not about civil rights. They're about anarchy. They're not righteous. They are aggressively godless. DOJ is moving to end federal funding to cities that won't protect citizens. Maybe it's just time to introduce the Israeli sink bombs. And finally, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Justice for Women. Don't buy into the Ruth Bader Ginsburg love fest, feminist icon narrative. She can be respected for consistently standing up for what she believed. The Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Antonin Scalia friendship was authentic, a positive example of civility the disagreement. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg did not stand up for women. She stood up for liberalism, the leftist vision of women. Women must be drafted like men. They must be in combat like men. Prisons must be sex integrated. No differences between men and women. Prostitution must be legalized. Must be no stigma for women. Abortion without limit. Ruth Bader Ginsburg occupied a seat on the Supreme Court. She did not own it, and neither does her judicial philosophy own it. Trump is right to appoint a replacement. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America Can We Talk, Truth About America.